It's good to see everybody today. Um, uh, my name's Rollin. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's a privilege to be here and worshiping with you today. Uh, before we get started, we're um, just going to go ahead and say a prayer uh, for uh, some of those who've been affected by uh, at least two things over the course of the uh, past week. Uh, number one, yet another uh, shooting um, has taken place. Number two, um, there was another hurricane barreling um, to, towards the Caribbean and Florida and the like. So, Father, we, we just ask you, God in heaven, merciful God, that you would show yourself strong, that, God, in your strength you would show mercy. And, God, for all of those who've been affected continually over the course of this past several weeks and months and even year um, with the violence that's broken out not only in our city but across the nation, God, we're asking that you would have mercy that you would heal, that God, you would restore, that you would use this as an opportunity to bring people to yourself, the God of all comfort, the God of all healing, the God of all hope. God, we're asking you that um, what the enemy meant for harm, you would turn to good and let it lead to the saving of many lives through Jesus, our Lord. And God, we're praying that even as the hurricane is increasing in strength, that you would have mercy on those in the Caribbean, Father, for those in the Carolinas, for those in Florida, God, for those affected by uh, this great storm. God, we're praying that you would stay back your hand and may people call out to you in the midst of this trial as well. And may you rescue and deliver in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so everyone, it is uh, good to see you today. Um, we are jumping into the series that we've been doing over the past several weeks. And if you are new here, uh, it is a series where we've been going through the book of Joshua, which is an Old Testament book after the Israelites were coming out of their slavery in Egypt into the promised land that God had prepared for them in Canaan, now modern-day Israel. Now, to do so, um, God actually had to wait for the Israelites to get ready because there was a generation, though, he said, hey, listen, I have this land for you. This is my promised life for you. This is the, um, what I've called you to go and take possession of. There was a generation that uh, was not ready for that and didn't have the confidence, the faith, <clears throat> the trust in God to believe him, take him at his word, and go and take possession of the land that he had actually given them to take. And so there was a 40-year period that where many of the Israelites, though they had received the promise, died in the desert, and there was a waiting until there were two men, Joshua and Caleb, who were raised up by God to lead the, those who followed them into the land to take the cities that God, in fact, had for them. And so where we left off last week was basically the crossing of the Jordan. And it was just like the crossing of the Red Sea that took a miracle to get across, that if God was going to bring them into that which he called them to possess, it was going to take his intervention and it was going to take a miracle by his hand. And so we see that they were able to, just as they crossed the Red Sea by God parting the waters and the Israelites crossed over on dry land to get to the uh, wilderness and the promised land, we see on the cusp of them entering Canaan, God also opened the Jordan River miraculously at a flood stage at harvest, and the Israelites were able to cross once again to get over into the land of destiny, the land of promise, the cities that he had for them. And so this is where we're going to uh, pick up today, um, but we're going to cover it in sort of a different type of way in understanding our walk with God 
understanding the nature of a concept called circumcision. And circumcision, what you'll see, is an important concept throughout the Scripture, both Old and New Testament, and it really defines for us, whereas the uh, Israelites had to cross the Jordan to even get to the precipice of the land that they were going to take, circumcision is making preparation to actually take the city, okay? It's actually making preparation in our hearts by God's hand to actually take the cities that he's given us as a promise. And so um, when we look at it today, we're going to open up um, in our Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, making preparation to take the city, understanding circumcision. And if you can imagine, after 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years in the desert, there was a generation that grew up, and they were ready to actually have impact in the city that they were going to find themselves. And once they crossed the Jordan, you could imagine how excited people must have been, ready to go, right? Ready and raring to go. Much like, for instance, if you have been prepared over the course of many weeks, months, or years in your academic training, right? You've graduated from school, you're on the precipice of a new job, or you are um, actually, you've been waiting for a relationship relationship for years. You finally get married and you're on the precipice of getting ready to start a new relationship or you're on the um, verge of having children. There are many who are on the uh, verge of having their next child in here. And then it's you're excited and ready to go, right? But there were certain things that before they went into the land to actually take it successfully, God wanted to deal with to prepare them to actually take that land. He said, before you actually go and actually try to accomplish that which I've called you to do, I want to deal with things in you, okay, in your heart. So today, if you're taking notes, we're going to deal with those things that God wanted to address with the Israelites, and we're going to talk about it in three parts. First of all, the cut, number two, the covenant, and then finally, the commander of the army of the Lord. The cut understanding circumcision, the covenant that God establishes with us, and then number three, understanding the commander of the armies of the Lord. Okay? So let's read together. Joshua 5. It says, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and were no longer, there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness, meaning during those 40 years, after they had come out of Egypt, had not been circumcised. For the people walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that they would not, he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. 
When the circumcising of the whole nation had finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. So here you have the Israelites rearing and ready to go, ready to go in and take the land. But what they had to do was remember the covenant that God had established before them. And you would have thought to yourself, okay, they believed you for a miracle to cross the Jordan. They were ready to go in and take the land. And now, God, all you have to do is come through and drive the nations out and let them take possession of it. But before they did that, before they were able to go into the land, God basically said, I've got to cut you. I've got to cut you. Before you can go in and take the land that I'm going to give you as your possession, I've got to cut you. And what we understand is that God's called us not only to be a people who are delivered from our slavery to sin, but also to be a people who impact the land in which we find ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everybody says amen to that, right? We're here to impact the land in which we find ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when we think about the cut, we've got to understand that before you can actually help a city, you have to be positively different from those who find themselves trapped within it. You've got to be positively different from those who find themselves trapped within it. Jesus was often talking to his disciples, and he said, listen, I want you to not be separated from the world. I want you to be in the world, but not of it. I want you to be fully immersed in the culture in which you find yourself, to be the salt and the light that we talked about last week, but I don't want you to do the things that they do. I want you to be altogether different. I want you in an outward way, meaning in the way that you live your life, to have a sign of my inward work in your life. And so even in the Old Testament, we see that with the patriarch Abraham, he said, I'm giving you and to the children who come after you a covenant or a sign of circumcision that's going to set you apart, that's going to be a sign of my relationship with you, and it's going to be an outward sign of you being set apart to me. And what we see is that there was a generation that rose up, the Israelites, who were the children of those who died in the desert. And even though their parents had been circumcised, they themselves hadn't been cut on yet. They themselves still bore in their bodies the traditions, the cultures. What Joshua was told was the reproach of Israel was filling their bodies. And what does that mean? The reproach of Israel are the things that mark us whether we're aware of it or not. The things that mark our personalities, the things that mark our mentalities, the things that mark our aspirations, the things that mark our priorities, and the things that we place value upon. And what we don't realize is that when we're in the world trying not to be of it, it's very easy to absorb the culture around you if we're not absolutely, positively, intentionally choosing to go against the grain. What's happening is, is that just like you being in a restaurant where the smells are strong, your clothes are absorbing the smells of that restaurant so that when you leave it, people can tell where you've been. In the same way, that is what our culture is like. 
And that's why the scripture clearly tells us in the word, he says, do not, in view of God's mercy, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But when you look at even that scripture, that exhortation that Paul was giving to the Romans about being in the world but not of it, that word to not be conformed to the pattern of this world came in a passive tense. And what that meant was that he said, if you do not intentionally choose not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, the world will conform you. If you are not choosing to set your feet in the water as in a beach and the tides are brushing and pulling you down shore, if you're not choosing to walk in a different direction, the reproach of the world will cling to you and define you. And before you can actually get to a place where you're actually walking in the plans and purposes of God, God's got to intentionally cut you to remove the reproach of Egypt from you. He's got to deal with things in our lives that are, in fact, going to make us different. What are some examples of those things? Whenever I think about living in a city of Chicago, we're a city of hard workers. We're a city of high achievers, right? A city of high achievers. Many of the people that you see around you are upwardly mobile people. They're trying to make their mark on the world and in society, but what begins to happen is that if, immer- if you're immersed in a culture where your identity is defined by your achievements, then what happens is that you're separated from the identity that God wants to have for you. And you're pushed and you're driven in ways that separate you from the life and the purposes of God. And then eventually, when you hit the brick wall of challenge, your confidence, your identity, even your sanity begin to crack because you are building a foundation on something that God never intended for you to. With approach of Israel is understanding that my identity is not my achievements, that I will not sacrifice even things like my mental health for some perceived level of success in the life in which we live. Now, God says, I'm going to give you a land where you have great success, right? That I make you the head, not the tail, the top, never at the bottom, that you'll lend to many nations and borrow from, uh, borrow from none. This is all part of the covenant of God, but done his way and done with his priorities, right? But what happens a lot of times is that people have a picture in their head like this, that I want it all seen and I want it all now, Right? Anybody seen the recent Grubhub commercial? No, that's fine. (laughs) That's fine. The thing is, is that we all say, we're like Veruca Salt, right? Veruca Salt is an old Charlie and the Chocolate Factory theme. You've all read that. You've all seen it. At least the version with weird Charlie, uh, Johnny Depp, right? So you've at least seen that one. And Veruca Salt was always like, listen, I want it all and I want it now, right? That's what drives us in our culture. I want it all and I want it now. And so in the picture, what we see is that we define success only by what's seen above the surface and have very little substance beneath. Very little substance beneath. Whereas what God's trying to do is actually give us great roots beneath what's not seen 
and actually be able to eventually pull it up and have something that not only feeds us, but actually feeds the world. How many people know that that carrot's big enough for not just that kid, but also the others around him? That's what God wants. But if you're measuring success only by being driven by what you see, you're going to find yourself in the wrong place. Or what about our children nowadays? Our children and all of these shootings that are taking place in Midland and Odessa recently, in El Paso, Texas, recently, in Dayton, Ohio, we see that what's happening is that people are losing their grounding in terms of where their authority lies and what things are actually shaping their thinking, their convictions, and their relationships with people, the world around them. And what happens is the, the result is the things that we see on the daily news because they're removed from what should actually define them. There was a man named Ravi Zacharias. How many people have ever heard of him before? A great thinker. Ravi Zacharias, he's a, also a social commentator, and he wrote in his um, um, book, Recapture the Wonder, sort of a progression of what happens with a generation that doesn't get cut upon. What happens with a generation that doesn't have issues dealt with in their soul? And he talked about the past 50 plus years, 60 years, um, 70 years. He says, in the 1950s, kids lost their innocence. They were liberated from their parents by well-paying jobs, cars, and lyrics, and music that gave rise to a new term, the generation gap. In the 1960s, kids lost their authority. It was a decade of protest. Church, state, and parents were all called into question and found wanting. Their authority was rejected, yet nothing ever replaced it. In the 1970s, kids lost their love. It was a decade of meism, dominated by hyphenated words beginning with self. Self-image, self-esteem, self-assertion. It made for a lonely world. Kids learned everything there was to know about sex and forgot everything there was to know about love. And no one had the nerve to tell them there was a difference, meaning no one chose to cut on them, right? In the 1980s, kids lost their hope. Stripped of innocence, authority, and love, and, <clears throat> and love, and plagued by the horror of a nuclear nightmare, large and growing numbers of this generation stopped believing in the future. In the 1990s, kids lost their power to reason. Less and less were they taught the very basics of language, truth, and logic, and they grew up with the irrationality of a postmodern world. In the new millennium, kids woke up and found out that somewhere in the midst of all this change, they had lost their imagination. Violence and perversion entertained them till none could talk about killing innocents since none was innocent anymore. Now, if you're old enough like me, you've lived through several of these progressions. Anybody remember some of these progressions? And you've seen it over the course of time, right? 
And what's happened is, is that as people have aspired to different things over the course of the generations, they've lost their grounding. But what God was having to deal with with the Israelites at the same time is he said, in the wilderness, you're the generation that went before you that did not, was not properly attuned with me, went astray. But now, before you go in and try to take this city, before you try to take this land, I have got to cut on you in an appropriate way so that you'll have a right foundation a right relationship with me and allow me to define you, your values, your aspirations, your pursuits, the things that are actually going to determine significance in your life. That is God's desire for this generation that's lost its way. When you think about it, though, you think about the fact that by the time God's talking about these Israelites entering into the land, it's not children that he's talking about. Whenever God was... (laughs) Whenever God was initially instituting the covenant of circumcision, it took place on the eighth day. The eighth day, which medically, I think um, we see that it's actually the time that you begin clotting well, right? So that as you clot, your body like is able to repair itself. But here, God's talking to grown men who he's saying, before you go and take the land, get ready to get circumcised. And I don't know about you, but that would be a problem for me, (laughs) okay? I'm not a kid. I'm a grown man. And somebody's saying, I'm going to make some flint knives and come and get, coming to get you, Rollin. And I'll be like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> okay. I'm here on this side of the Jordan and I'm going to stay here. You know, Jericho, you guys go take it. I'm fine. Flint knives be gone in Jesus' name. <laughs> right? But that's often how we approach the things of God because we often are dealt with by God in different seasons of life. Some of you came to God when you were young. Some of you were raised in the church and some of you had the things of God deeply embedded in your heart from the time that you were a child. Good for you. That was not my story. I was 18 years old, out of my parents' house, on my own for the first time, trying to make decisions of how I was going to live life and what I was going to do when God came after me. I thought I was grown and nobody was going to tell me anymore what to do, what to think, or how to do it. But then when Jesus came into my life and said, follow me, drop your idols and obey my commands, all of a sudden I was challenged by other grown men who were trying to tell me that the way I was living was not right. And all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute, who do you think you are, Mr. Big Stuff? You don't have the, cha- you don't have the ability to define me. You don't have the ability to challenge me. But the truth of the matter was, I needed to be cut on by the Word of God to come into that which God had for me. Why? Because I'd grown up in a culture where, for instance, I was a serial dater. I was jumping from relationship to relationship, sexually immoral with each one of them. I was a partier, right? And the way that I defined fun was through the bump bump that I experienced the night before. I was the type of person where when I looked at the opposite sex, it was not pure. And that was esteemed in the culture around me. When I was living a life of freedom in my thought, I didn't realize that I was actually enslaved to the very values that I was being driven along by in the culture around me. I had to be cut on as a grown man. And for some of us in here, you've been going around in a wilderness experience, 
never really progressing in the things of God because you won't allow yourself to be cut on by him. You won't allow him to deal with issues in your heart. And check this out. It's not just God coming to deal with the issues. He said, Joshua, you make a flint knife. You make a flint knife and you go after these men. What that means is that in our present day, we want to be so spiritual that nobody can say anything to me unless it's God himself. Nobody can address any attitude or issue in my heart unless it's the Bible itself giving me revelation. But what if God is sending some man or some woman with a flint knife in their hand to actually deal with issues in your heart? What if God is actually trying to deal with issues through the brother or the sister sitting right next to you? Where you're like, wait a minute, you mean I have to let people in? I've got to be humble enough to let somebody else give their opinion about my ways of living, thinking, and doing things? That my, my progress in God is actually dependent on how much I allow others to speak into my life? According to this, the answer is yes. Is that not what you see? He said, Joshua, get the flint knives and allow some cutting to begin. And if you are only in a place where you can only hear from God, then you're not going to get where God wants you to go. That's the truth of the matter. And you, like the generation prior, will die in the wilderness. It doesn't mean that you're not a believer. You hear me? doesn't mean that you're not part of the people of God or saved. The Israelites who died in the desert, they were the people of God. But it does mean that you won't be prepared to get into the land that God, in, in fact, has prepared for you and commanded you to walk in. Big difference between our plans and God's plans. Can everybody say amen to that? Big difference. And what God's trying to call you into is getting cut to come into his plans. But the beauty of it is, is that he doesn't just cut you, but then he actually gives you a chance to heal, to heal before you go into the land. Because whenever you, whenever you get cut on, anybody ever had issues dealt with and then felt very vulnerable after having issues dealt with? When you finally confess things that were secret sins or habitual sins for years, and you finally allowed somebody in to confess it and pray for you that, as the Scripture says, you might be healed. And, but you feel like a little bit shaky in that place, right? All of a sudden, I've been trying to hold my ground underneath me, but I feel exposed now, and I don't feel like I have the strength to go into the land. Well, that was a significant thing um, about it, is that you imagine the Israelites just crossed the Jordan, meaning they were face-to-face with the enemies that they were going to be driving out, right? And then God says, I'm going to cut you. And so what that means is that they would be wounded, exposed to the very enemies who they were coming to fight only a period of time later, right? But because God had just performed a miracle opening up the Jordan, they were able to heal in safety because the people's hearts around them were melting. You see how that works? And what God says is, here's the beauty of the church. 
is that when things are dealt with, you see, like in the workplace, it's a dog-eat-dog world, right? People are always jockeying for positions. People are trying to step over one another to excel and um, get past one another in their achievement, their success achievements. Then the church, it's different. When things are exposed, it's exposed in such a way that God can cut on it, but then he says, I'm giving you a place and also time of healing before you try to move forward so that you can go forward in strength. Church, this is to be a safe place, a safe place where you can confess not only to God but to one another and cover one another, praying for one another that you might be healed. If you're struggling in your marriage, it is a safe place to let it out because here you can be encouraged and strengthened by the Lord and go forward in his purposes for your marriage. If you're struggling, I was just on the phone yesterday with a friend who's struggling with his child rearing. One of their kids is constantly rebellious. And you know what? As part of the church, he knows he can call on the phone and say, hey, I need you to stand with me, fast and pray for this kid because he's dealing with things in his heart. And it's a safe place where we can open up and be healed, even while God's preparing us to take the city. In the same way with personal sin, do not stay in the dark. Do not stay in the dark. God wants you to be cut on, yes, but yes, be healed before you move forward to try to take the land. That is God's power and also protection for you when we do things his way. And why we're reminded of that is not just about the cutting, but also the covenant that he establishes. If we keep reading down in the, in the scripture, we, we see in that same Joshua 5 verse that we've got to understand that before we can take the city, as God's healing us, we have to remember our covenant with God that will anchor us in that identity as we're healing and in a place of safety. You see, before they ever tried to take Jericho, and how many people are uh, familiar with the story of Jericho? Okay, so we're going to get there, but Jericho was one of those cities that um, they had to take, the first city that they had to take, but they had to do not just the cutting, not just the healing, but God was reestablishing them in the covenant that he had with them before they tried to take the land. Because once we start to move forward, a lot of times, again, as Corey was, Pastor Corey was talking about several weeks ago, our challenge is not to forget God when God's prospering us, right? We move forward in the different things that God has actually promised to us or given us. But according to Deuteronomy 8, he gave a challenge and said, when you come into all of these things and you come into houses you did not build and wells you did not dig and vineyards you did not plant, remember not to forget me. Remember not to forget me because I'm the Lord who's given you the power to produce wealth and so confirmed my covenant with you. But if you forget me, it will go badly for you. And so before the Israelites even tried to take Jericho, he said, let's get back to the covenant that I established with you. And in Joshua 5, 10 through 12, he was reestablishing what's important. He said, just as circumcision is an Old Testament reflection of the New Testament circumcision, the baptism that we come into whenever our hearts are circumcised in Christ, 
So this institution that would be celebrated over and over again of the Passover was a reminder of where your identity should be grounded in the Passover lamb of God before you ever try to take the land that he's given you. And in verse 10, it says, while the people were encamped at Gilgal, the place where they got cut, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, right? So God wants to bless them. He said, I promise this to you. You're going to be successful. You're going to eat of the produce of the land, but do it with first honoring my covenant. Stay in the pocket. Stay with your identity focused on me and on you as my people, not just being a political entity, but instead being my people who are set apart and consecrated to me. That's what the Passover represented. He said, the produce of the land, they ate unleavened cakes and parts grain, and the manna ceased that day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer any manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Now, the, the important thing about that is this is, this is where it gets real tr tricky because this is where we live today. In the wilderness, they were receiving daily supply from God of supernatural manna from heaven. That kept them alive. And how many people know that in that place, it's easy to be dependent on God? It's easy to live as dependent on God when that's the only food that's coming. It's like, I better be right with God. Why? Because he's got the manna. And unless the manna comes, I'm not going to eat. But all of a sudden, they make this transition. And in the promised land, the manna stops. And then all of a sudden, what they begin to eat is the fruit of their own hands. You see this now, what they begin to eat is the product of their own efforts. They begin to work the ground and the food that they're eating is now, yes, blessed by God and he's causing all of it to grow when they plant or they sow or they reap, right? That's God behind the scenes, but it's not as a parent anymore. Do you see the subtlety? And so the challenge is, how do I keep my identity in him when it's easy to think that all that I have is not because of him, but it's from my own efforts? This is the challenge of the modern successful Christian. And this is why he says, before you try to go into the land, honor my Passover. Honor my Passover, honor the death, burial, and for us, resurrection of Jesus the Son. This is why we continually celebrate communion as a sacrament. Because Jesus, our Passover lamb, was crucified, was buried, and was raised from the dead to give us that identity and that new life in him that should define all of life. And he says, before you go into the land, don't get caught up in the works of your own hands. Have your identity solidified in his covenant. And finally, there was a commander, 
of the army of the Lord. I love this, especially in the world in which we live now where people are battling and people are all at odds with one another. I love this as a sort of an exclamation point on it all. Before they tried to go into the land, let's finish with Joshua 5, 13 through 15. We got to understand that before we can help a city, we need to know where our help actually comes from. And in verse 13, Joshua, when Joshua was by Jericho, right, the city that they're ultimately going towards, it said, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? Whose side are you on, God? Whose side are you on, man with the sword? Because he's got, we all have plenty of opinions, right? Anybody ever gone to God before like this? Who are you for? You for me and all my opinions and all my stances? Or are you for my enemies? And he said, no. <laughs> Joshua said, are you for me or my enemies? And the guy with the sword said, no. <laughs> Which means neither. Neither one. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I have come. I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I've come. So who's he for? He's for himself and his purposes which overarches and supersedes anything that anybody can be about. He said, it's my world. You're living in it, dog. And he says, ultimately, if I'm about my purposes, you need to get yourself right with me as the commander of the army of the Lord, and then you can go into the land that I've actually apportioned for you. Don't forget this. I'm in charge is what he says. Don't just try to pray and call me over to your side. I'm on my own side, and you need to come over to mine. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ actually calls us to when he talks about himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. You do not have to get caught up in all of the arguments and all of the trappings of the world as they oppose themselves with one another, but instead you could say, like Joshua, what does my Lord have to say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing, where you're standing is holy. And so Joshua did so. In the same way, you can humble yourself before God and say, the only thing that I'm going to reply with when people are coming against me with some garbage, the only thing that I'm going to respond with whenever I'm having to deal with things in the workplace, the only thing that I'm going to stand on when I'm trying to relate to people properly in my neighborhood is the holiness of God. And I'm going to re represent him, set apart to him, and him alone. And when I take off my shoes and say, every place where I set my feet is holy if God is with me, then I know that my life is no longer my own. I've been purchased at a price, defined by that covenant of the Passover lamb. And therefore, I'm allowing myself to be cut on and represent him accurately to the world in which I find myself, living in it, but not of it. You see how we went forward and then did a work backwards, back to the beginning? That is the point of it all. But the question is, will you, number one, 
open yourself up to be circumcised. Not in the flesh, but in the heart. If you're not getting baptized yet, I don't care if you're an adult man or woman, and you feel like, listen, my kids got baptized before me. I don't care. God says, if you are not yet circumcised, get baptized. Why? Because Jesus commanded it. The commander of the armies of the Lord commanded it. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then he says, as you do, allow yourself to continually be cut on so that you might be exposed, healed, and then go forward into the land that he has for you, remembering the covenant that he's established with you through Jesus Christ, and then finally allowing him to be Lord of your life, directing all of your pursuits, affairs, and everything that comes after that. So the question today is, who is in your life with a flint knife. Who's in your life with a flint knife? And if somebody doesn't immediately pop into your head, then there probably isn't anybody yet. They're probably somewhere sharpening it for you, but you haven't <laughs> invited them, <laughs> you know I mean, to come in. Let me tell you something. When you are about to get a cut on, you know. Anybody ever gone through any type of surgery before? Listen, you know when you're about to get cut. I can immediately think of people in my life who cut on me. Not hard to identify, who tell me things I don't want to hear. Anybody have somebody like that in their life, in the Lord? If you don't have it, our, our encouragement to you today is get it. Get it. Humble yourself and get it. Allow somebody to cut on me. And you can even tell them this way. Hey, listen, I, you can gift them a flint knife. Buy it for them. And they're saying, what is this for? I'm like, it's just a representation of my life open to you. Cut on me, brother or sister. Right? Number one. And then number two, if you've not established your covenant with Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, do so today. If you have already, make a renewed covenant with him to say my life is going to be defined by you and what you've done. Because number three, you are my Lord. And I'm going to serve you accordingly. Amen?